following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. All right, this morning we're going to be looking in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. So if you have a Bible and want to turn there, we're going to be looking in verses 12 through 17. Let's read uh, Hebrews. Well, it says three through eleven. It should be uh, twelve through seventeen. So we may need to not follow what's there, but um, <clears throat> therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Uh, This title of my message is No Weak Link. And uh, in um, Hebrews 12, he's been uh, using the image of a race. Uh, And in verse, uh, verse 1, 2, and 3... Uh, he talks a lot about this idea of running a race and, and running with endurance the race that is set before us. And oftentimes we think of um, running a race as very much an individual event, uh, and in some respects it is. Uh, but in these verses, he's shifting to more of a, a, the view of a team. And, uh, but to get the context, let's read, uh, let me read verses 1 through 3 as well. Since, the, since therefore we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And so in the context of Hebrews, that's one of the big issues that the uh, author of Hebrews is worried about, that, uh, that his readers uh, are growing weary and, and throughout the book, he's been warning them not to give up the race, not to quit. Uh, and certainly it's a topic for all of us uh, to, to keep enduring, to hang in there, to, to get to the finish line, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, uh, to finish with endurance the race that's set before us. Uh, and, and last week we looked at um, the issue of this, this discipline, these hardships, these trials that they were facing uh, were not because God didn't love them or care for them, but it was actually part of God's discipline in their life. And God was using these things to mature and grow them. And so they needed to, in a sense, welcome them, even though they might always be happy about it. But 
Uh, it is part of the race, that the struggles, the, the difficulties are part of the race. And then we come to these, uh, this passage in verses 12 through 17. And the focus here is really shifted from uh, the individual, you as an individual enduring, to what do you do with the, the weak links, right? What do you do with the person who is struggling, who's at risk of dropping out? Uh, do, we, do we care about those people? And again, oftentimes we think of running events, a marathon or you know, a distance event as being a solo event where we just focus on our, our performance, our effort. Um, and certainly in ancient times that may have been how it was. But actually, uh, you may not know this, but some running events are actually a team sport. Of course, there's relays, which uh, you know, four people uh, run in sequence to, uh, as a team to get a good time. Uh, another one of my favorite ones is, is the sport of cross-country. Anybody out there run, ever run cross-country? Good for you. These are, these are real people. Give them a hand, right, because they, they ran cross-country. Good. Uh, I ran and also got to coach cross-country. And the way cross-country works is it's very much a team sport. And um, the, the way it's scored is you get a, a number of points by how you place. So if you place in third, you get three points. If, and, and the thing is with cross-country, like there's like hundreds of kids that run all at once on this three-mile, usually a golf course or some pretty place. And so it's possible to place like 137th. And guess how many points you score? 137. And um, in, in cross-country, the goal is kind of like golf, not a high score. A high score is not good. Right? The goal is to get a low score. And they take the, the combined scores of the top five runners, and that's your score. And the low score wins for the team. And uh, like is true in many sports, what happens is the most important runner is rarely the first or second runner, right? Because uh, the way it works, they're usually pretty good, and maybe they'll place fourth or fifth. And on a bad day, maybe they'll place eighth or ninth, you know, so it's just a couple point difference. But the one you always wanted to worry about was that number five guy, right? The number five guy, the last place guy, because on a good day, he might score 25th. On a bad day, he might score 125th. And the, the point difference is substantial, right? Just do the math. So, uh, so like it's true in most sports, on most team sports, you know, they say the weakest link is, is, is the, the measure of your team. You're only as strong as your weakest link because when something breaks... That's at the stress point. That's, that's the problem. Right? And, and I think if, uh, if cross-country had been invented when, uh, when the author of Hebrews wrote this, he would have had this in mind when he wrote these verses. He would have been thinking, yeah, this is not a solo race. It's a team event. And what's critical is that you all cross the finish line. And it's up to, up to all of you to make sure that you are encouraging that weakest team, team member. I remember in cross country, you know, we would, we would, we would expect a lot from the first, second, third runners, but man, we would cheer on that fourth and fifth guy, right? And even the guys when they would finish, they would go back and they would cheer on because it all hinged on that last guy. Well, that's kind of how it is in the Christian life. We're not doing this alone. As you look around this room and as we think about people in our home countries and our churches, we are together in this race. So what do we do with those people who are struggling, who are falling behind, who are at risk of, of dropping out? Uh, is it okay to say, well, you know, too bad for them, but I'm just moving on, right? Not my problem. Well, the author would say no, right? 
we have a responsibility not only for our own race and our own life, but we are our brother's keeper. Right? We are responsible to make sure that we bolster those who are weak and struggling, that we come alongside them. And he, he begins in verse 11 by pretty much saying it straight out. He says, uh, Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Uh, and it sounds like he's talking to an individual, but given the context here, he's really talking to the church as a whole. He's saying those parts in the body, those parts in your fellowship that are, that are about to drop, that are, that are weak, you need to lift up, you need to strengthen them. Um, and the idea of drooping hands and, and, and weak knees are both also from athletic events. Uh, a little bit of shift in metaphors, the drooping hands probably relates to a boxing match. If you've ever watched boxing or, or box, uh, you know that uh, the most important thing in boxing, rule number one, is you keep your hands up, right? You protect yourself. It is your defense. But oftentimes as the competition goes on, especially if an athlete's gotten dinged a few times and he's getting tired and weary, the temptation is that those hands droop. And when those hands droop, there's a big target labeled right here. And when your hands drop, it means you're about to get dropped, right? Because if you don't keep them up, you're going to get creamed. And so, and you're out, right? You get punched in the head hard enough and boom, you're done. Game over, right? So it says you've got to keep those drooping hands up. You've got to stay in the fight. Same thing with weak knees. If you've ever run a long, long way and uh, all of a sudden your knees start giving out, okay, that's a bad sign. And when they give it all together, guess what happens? You face plant right in the, right in the dirt, Right? Likewise, kind of game over, end of story. So he says, you need to be responsible, you need to come alongside. And when people are in that place, when they are out of energy, they are weary, they are, they are worn out, they are done with the battle, and they are super discouraged. Right? We don't just go by and kick them and say, get those hands up, you lazy, right? That's not helpful. Right? When, when their knees are about to buckle, when their hands are dropping, they need somebody to come alongside them and strengthen them. Uh, the word here, lift, which actually controls, it's, it's, it's one verb that's linked to both these words, uh, um, uh, you know, lifting your hands and also lifting or strengthening your knees, is a word that can be translated build up. Right? We are to come alongside each other and help the weak by building them up, encouraging them, strengthening them, doing what we can to help them get those hands up and get those knees strengthened. He uses another image in verse 13. He says, And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Uh, And again, this is a command verb, like the first one, lift. It's a a command, an imperative. He's saying, help those who are struggling by by making sure the path is is laid out straight before them. Also in a running event, cross country, had this happen more than once. Uh, If you want to lose the race, uh, make sure your athletes don't really know where the course goes, right? And I've had this where somebody, you know, they turn right when they should have turned left, and pretty soon the race is over, and this person's like disappeared. Like, and you send out search parties, and they're wandering off in some valley somewhere, lost, right? Uh, sure way to lose the race. So he says, make sure the path is straight. Make sure it's clear where you are headed, and specifically, it has the idea of, of the finish line. Make sure people are clear and it's marked out before them the finish line. And if you've been with us through the walk through Hebrews, this has been a big deal, especially in, in, in the chapter on faith. 
Faith is future focused. Right? It's not it's not so much worried about my life here and now, but it sees beyond the problems of here and now to the ultimate prize at the finish line. The promise and the reward that is promised for those who will pursue and endure to the end. This unseen reality of uh, life in God's presence and in his kingdom. Right? So, um, so, so we, we encourage them, we strengthen them by making sure they're on the path, that they're not veering, wandering off into wrong teaching and wrong thoughts and wrong ideas. And we're putting before people a clear picture and vision of the finish line. Right? Don't give up because the prize at the end is going to be worth it. I remember when I coached cross country, uh, we were at a very small school and we actually had to compete in a division at a higher level than our school because our school was so small. And so it was super important that, that I could keep every athlete running the whole season. And the goal wasn't really just to run one race and finish. The goal was to get all the way to the end of the season without too many injuries or without people um, quitting. And so uh, part of my job as a coach was inspiring them with the, the great prize at the end. And what I would throw out to them is like, if you do that, if you stay healthy, if you do everything I'm telling you and you run hard, we could go to state. And I'm telling you, this is a cool thing. When we go to state, they're going to pay a bus with your name on it. And there's going to be a parade and there's going to be fire trucks and you're going to be the hero of our huge town of 800. And they were like, big eyed. Whoa, really? And of course, they had seen this, you know, and it's like, wow, I, I want that, right? So when they were getting discouraged mid-season and wanted to quit because it was too hard, I'd just say, yeah, but we could go to state if you hang in there. We're inspired, right? Well, that's kind of how it is, right? As people are feeling down and discouraged, we need to get their eyes off the here and now, the problems they're dealing with, and say, hey, look, it is hard. Uh, It is a battle. It takes endurance. But for those who endure to the end, who get to the finish line, it's going to be worth it. Right? It's going to be worth it. Uh, and Paul said that, that this light and temporary affliction is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed at the finish line. Right? So we need to be holding that up before those who are weak. And he says that through that, they, they are healed. There's, there's healing for their, their, their weak, crippled limbs. Right? We, can, we can be an agent of healing as we um, inspire people to hope and faith in the certain promises that God has laid out for us, which is what the author of Hebrews has been doing through this whole book. Uh, so, so keep people strong, keep them running straight. Right? That's, that's, that's our, our mission, and not only for ourselves, but as we try to encourage those around us who are struggling. <clears throat> then he moves on and he gives us a couple other instructions for how we can help people run the race uh, and, and hang in there. And he says in verse 14... <clears throat> Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Um, Literally, the idea here is to to pursue or to chase after something, to chase after peace, to chase after holiness. Um, And it's a little little, um, uh, confusing. Uh, And it could give us the idea here that what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to make and create peaceful relationships with those around us. And we are to produce in our own lives uh, holiness, godliness. Uh, But if we understand that way, it would mean we weren't listening through the whole book of Hebrews and we have to start all over. Because that is not what he was teaching. 
but somehow it's up to us to create peace and to create in our lives holiness. Uh, in fact, uh, really the idea of peace here, peace and holiness are linked by this one verb to chase after or pursue or to seek. Uh, and it's, it's really not the idea of, of having peace with each other, but it's pursuing together with everyone the life of peace and holiness. Um, and and this, uh, this idea of chasing is that not that we create it, that we need to make it happen, that we need to produce it ourselves. We're chasing something that's already out there, and we just need to chase it and grab hold of it and take possession of what's being offered to us. It's kind of like in a dog race, and I've never actually been to a dog race, but I've seen it on TV. You know, they have this rabbit. Not a real rabbit. It's like a little stuffed thing on a stick. And the, the bell goes off, and the rabbit goes flying down the track on the stick, and the dogs chase that rabbit. I always wonder what would happen if they ever like caught the rabbit, right? Um, I heard one time that happened, and, and the dogs were just really confused because when they got to it, it was not what they were expecting, right? <laughs> uh, not the tasty rabbit they had hoped for, right? Uh, but the idea is that, that it is something that can be obtained, that could be pursued and, and, and grabbed hold of. And I think what he's talking about here is not that we create peace or we make holiness in our life, but he's talking about what... Christ has accomplished for us in the cross. What he has accomplished for us is peace with God and the holiness that only Jesus can produce in our life. And we are to pursue what he has accomplished for us and made available for us through his blood and through, as the writer of Hebrews talks about, Jesus' high priestly ministry on our behalf to make sure that we do obtain and see fulfilled in our life completely what it means to be holy in Christ. Uh, Hebrews 10.12 puts it this way. Uh, Hebrews 10.12-14 But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God uh, where, he, where he ministers as a high priest, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, or those who are being made holy. Same word as our word here. Same word. Right? It's through the work of Jesus, through the blood of Christ, that we are sanctified and made holy. But the question is, are we pursuing those things? Right? Are we chasing after all that Christ has accomplished for us? Uh, earlier in the book of Hebrews, uh, in chapter 6, he challenges the Hebrews. He says, uh, I'm not talking here about the basics of Christianity 101, of forgiveness in Christ. He said, you need to press on to maturity. And maturity is not just that Jesus forgave you for your sins. Now, praise God, he did forgive your sins. In Jesus and the work of the cross, there is forgiveness. Uh, there is the cleansing of your life of sin. But that's not the end of it, right? There is more. And we are to press on to maturity. And what he talks about in the next uh, chapters is that what Christ has done for us is to make it possible for us to take possession of his kind of life. Right? Not just to have our sins in the past forgiven, but to have the power of sin over our life broken. Right? Uh, can you say that you feel like you're living right now in a place where the power of sin over your life has been broken? Well, I hope so. I mean, I hope you're gaining progress in that, right? Now, of course, will we ever be there 100%? Uh, 
Uh, probably not, not until we're uh, in, with God in heaven. But we should be making progress in that. Like if you're not making progress on that, if you're not seeing some victories in your life where you are seeing sin defeated, uh, the problem probably is that you're trying too hard in your own strength and you are not chasing after the holiness that's available in Christ through the cross. Right? And he says you need to press on to maturity. You need to learn how this works. You need to learn how you obtain what Christ has made for you available through the power of the cross and through his ministry as our high priest. And we talked a lot about that, so I'm not going to press the point, but, um, but that's how we, we, we pursue, we chase after holiness. And he talks also about uh, coming into the, into the holy of holies that Christ has made in chapter 10, uh, an entrance through the curtain. He's made a way, a door through the curtain into the very presence of God. And it is a most holy place. Uh, and I think chasing, pursuing holiness is coming to live uh, and abide, dwell continually in the holy presence of God. And there's nothing that will transform our lives more than spending more and more time in the holy presence of God. Because here's the deal. It's really hard to walk down and live a life of sin when you're standing in God's presence. Right? The only way to make that happen is you have to leave God's presence. And shut the door on what he's opened up for us uh, if you're going to walk intentionally into a path of sin. And so we're to chase it. We're to pursue that life. To understand what it means to enter through the cross and through the blood of Jesus and live our life daily, moment by moment, in the presence of a living and holy God. Um, and, and we obtain that. We chase it down. We obtain it by faith, he's been saying. Right? It's not by our effort. It's not because I prayed enough or because I read enough chapters of the Bible. And those are important things. But those are not how we grab hold of what God has for us. We do it by faith, by a confidence in what Jesus has accomplished for us and all that Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. And so that's why he spent the whole chapter 11 dealing with this topic of faith. Because it is the means by which we will chase down and grab hold of the peace of God and the holiness without which it is impossible to see him. So there's kind of a, a two sides of a coin. We, we need to be in God's presence to grow in holiness, but it is this holiness that enables us to walk and live in God's presence and experience him. But if we're not really experiencing, like we sang this morning, and we want to experience more of your presence, maybe you're like, man, I've never, I've never experienced that. Right? Maybe it's because we're not pursuing holiness in our own life. We're not allowing Christ to do that transforming work so that we can stand before the presence of God and experience Him as He intends for us. Right? That's what it means to press on to maturity, to go far beyond just having your sin problem dealt with, but to have a life where you are living fully by the power of God in His presence. Um, and the point of all this is that uh, you can only help others to the extent you yourself are healthy and strong. He's saying, you know, you, and, and then the focus of this, the, these verses is, is yourself, right? You yourself need to be living out a life fully in, in the gospel of grace because you're never going to be effective at helping somebody else if you're not walking and, and, and pursuing those things yourself. 
So it's like a fireman. Before a fireman can charge into a, a burning building to rescue somebody who's trapped there, he has to put on gear to protect himself. Right? He's got to look after himself first. Otherwise, well, he will die and, and he will not be successful in rescuing somebody else. Uh, a doctor who's uh, not taking care of his own health is going to be powerless to help bring healing to others. Uh, a nursing mother who uh, does not sustain her own life with nutrition and with healthy food and enough food isn't going to be able to produce milk to supply for her baby. Right? Same thing true for us. He's saying, look, you need to be uh, walking in these things yourself so that you have the wisdom and power to help the weak ones around you. Right? So that's the first thing we need to do to help others is be sure we're <coughs> living things, these things out ourselves. But then he goes on and he talks about the need of, of not leaving anybody behind, of watching out for others. He says in verse 15, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no, one, uh, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. He gives us three things here that we can do to make sure no one is left behind. And that's really the point here. He says three times, let no one uh, get lost. Let no one be left behind. Because, right, this is a team event. And I think one of the problems of our modern, especially more Western Christianity, is we are so individualistic. Right? Honestly, when you read the Bible, uh, isn't 99% about what it is about you? I know that's how it is with me. I'm thinking about how I can grow in Christ, how I can become more like Christ, how I can um, apply these things in my life. And as we just read, it is important. Certainly we need to be doing that. But it should never be our exclusive and sole vision. Right? We are to be team players and it should be a high priority for us that everybody on the team crosses the finish line. And we need to be sensitive and aware of those around us who are struggling. Right? When you see somebody who is weak and struggling, uh, what is your thought about them? Do you just kind of shrug your shoulders and say, well, too bad for them, but hey, it's not my problem. Well, the author of Hebrews would say, no, actually, it is your problem. But it is all of our problem to work together as the body of Christ to make sure that every part of the body is functioning and strong and healthy and healed. It is our, it is our problem. So we need to be serious about looking around us. And the sad reality is I think that uh, oftentimes we don't even know who's struggling around us. We don't have enough relationship even be aware of people right next to us who are about to drop out of the race. Right? Because even though people are weak or struggling, they know how to put on the mask. Right? We come to church and we smile and people say, how are you? And we say, I'm great. Right? But it's a lie for, for many people because they're not great. But we don't have enough relationship to know the difference. Right? And, and that is not what God calls us to be as his church. And so he gives us three ways that we need to make sure that no one is left behind. Three things we can do. Uh, and the first one, he says, make sure that no one fails to obtain 
the grace of God. Uh, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And uh, like I said, simply, that means no one gets left behind in uh, walking into the fullness of a life of maturity and grace in God's presence. Um, and in this passage, for, for the author of Hebrews, God's grace is very much the work of Christ on the cross. Hebrews 2.9, says this, But we see him, that is Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Right, the, the grace, it is the gospel. It says, make sure that nobody fails to obtain it. And here he doesn't mean, because as we've looked before, he's talking to a church where he is confident that they are, they are true believers. He's not talking here about those who are outside the church who, uh, who are at risk of losing the salvation that's offered to them, although that's important. But he's talking about people in the body, brothers and sisters in Christ. And he doesn't mean that they're going to lose their salvation, but they fail to obtain the fullness of grace. Right? They, they fail to obtain the full blessing that God has promised them and all the promises and good things that God wants to do in their life. Um, we should not be content with any brother or sister who's saved, but that's all. It's like, well, at least they're going to heaven. Uh, the, the author of Hebrews was like, no, that is not enough. Right? They need to run to the finish. They need to obtain the prize of all that God has for them. Uh, so we need to uh, be serious about <clears throat> pulling them along, about helping them walk into the fullness of grace, not just, well, they're saved. That's good enough for me. It must be good enough for them. Right? That's not good enough. <clears throat> uh, grace means that everything, everything that we need has been accomplished and provided for us through Jesus. Right? Every blessing, every benefit, uh, holiness, peace, joy, everything that we need to be his children uh, by his death and through his priestly ministry on our behalf. And there's nothing we can do to accomplish or obtain it on our own effort. Right? All of it is a gift of God and is something he must produce in us. So the first thing we need to be committed to is helping people obtain the fullness of this grace <clears throat> so that they are not left behind, so they don't become weary and drop out of the race. Second thing, uh, no weeds. <laughs> no weeds, right? He says, see to it that there is no root of bitterness that springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Um, it's, it's probably easy to misunderstand this, this verse because we, we use the metaphor of a root of bitterness in a very different way in our modern English. Uh, the way we use it is somebody who's holding on to bitter feelings, who's harboring unforgiveness and hostility towards somebody else. And it's, it's caused in them a spirit or attitude of bitterness that they're harboring. Right? Uh, but that's not actually how he's using the word here. He's talking about a root uh, that springs up and it produces a plant or a tree or a bush, and the fruit that comes out of this bush is bitter or poisonous or toxic. Right? It's a bad weed. It's, it's a noxious weed. It's something that produces fruit that is inedible or poisonous or harmful. And that's why he says it causes trouble for everyone and threatens to contaminate or defile the whole body. And essentially what he's speaking of here are 
uh, a root of bad theology or wrong teaching. Right? Bad ideas that are being taught and are uh, allowed to take root in the community so that it produces a fruit, uh, the results of, uh, that, that turns people away from finishing the race. And in the context of Hebrews, probably what he's thinking of are those who were talking about going back to Judaism. And his audience are very strict Jews, perhaps some of them priests or former priests, who had the thinking, well, you know, Jesus is one path to salvation, but so is the temple and the sacrifices. So is the way of Moses. And quite honestly, the way of Jesus is just way too hard. People are throwing things at me and they're talking about killing me. So here's the deal. I'm going to go back to the other path because it's just as good. I'll go back to the temple. I'll go back to offering my own sacrifices because uh, it's safer. Right? And he says, no, that is a root uh, of bad theology that undermines the grace and the work of Jesus. And that's why he spent a lot of time in the book talking about Jesus as the better sacrifice, the better promise that his blood pro- pro- um, provides for us the only way of salvation and forgiveness. That if the way of the temple worked, why is it they keep have to, having to offer sacrifices over and over and over? But Jesus is the one single, all-supreme sacrifice that covered sins of all. Right? He says you can't go back. And if you let that thinking, that bad theology take root, it will produce fruit that will destroy the body. There will be a toxic poison that will bring trouble and defilement in your community. Right, so he says you've got to be diligent to pull those weeds. Now, of course, in our day, I don't know of too many people who are tempted to go back to the path of Judaism, mostly because the temple was destroyed and there are no sacrifices, so you can't go there. Um, but in our, in our day, there are still many things, bad teaching, bad ideas, that undermine the gospel and the authority of Scripture. And we need to, we need to go after those things and, and root them out uh, maybe a good uh, way to, to uh, check is, is the five solas of, of Calvin, right? Uh, five solas means only by, right? Uh, only by scripture alone, right? That's the authority of truth for us. We are saved by faith alone, not by works, right? We, we are saved by grace alone, as a gift from God, not something we earn or deserve. Uh, through Christ alone. He alone is the sacrifice uh, sufficient to pay for sin. And finally, to God's glory alone. Uh, Those are good tests for truth. And if things are being taught or coming into the church that are undermining those ideas, we need to root those out. And I think one, uh, one of many that are being attacked of those five solas is the authority of Scripture. More and more society is saying, well, how can Scripture be true? Uh, when it clearly undermines our cultural values, right? Culture makes more sense to me. So I'm going to follow culture, not the authority of Scripture. Right? But we should say, no, Scripture alone is the authority on, on which we base our life and our teaching. And you can go on down the list. Uh, we should be quick to root out those wrong ideas and false teachings. Um, <clears throat> Last thing he says, uh, he says, "Don't be like Esau." Um, uh, 
that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Uh, Again, this verse could be easily kind of misunderstood, and uh, the translation is actually not helpful here. Uh, What's the point of Esau? Well, Esau is the ultimate example who forgot the finish line. He's the ultimate example of a guy who only saw the present and couldn't see the value of running to the end of the race. And the supreme example of that is when he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. So here's the deal. He was the firstborn son, and by, by birthright, he was the heir of all of his father's wealth. So all he had to do is just stay alive, just be the firstborn until his father died, and everything that belonged to his father would be passed on to him as his inheritance. But one day he was out hunting and he came back and he didn't have lunch and he was really hungry. And so he was craving food. And Jacob, his very sly and devious brother, said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a bowl of my soup if you'll give me your birthright. And uh, now is this a fair trade? It's like the worst trade ever. Like, you know, a bowl of guaitiao for, you know, all of your father's wealth. Oh, yeah, I'll take the Gwaitia, of course. <laughs> right? Uh, what was wrong with this guy, right? Well, his immediate craving here and now ruled his life. And he had no vision for the future. He had no faith for what, what, what this would mean in the long run. All he cared about was the present moment. And that's what this is talking about, right? It's the very antithesis of faith. Faith sees the unseen. It sees the finish line. It sees the eternal kingdom of God and it. It disdains, it hates the things of the here and now. It despises the here and now. And it rejects the, the reward that the world offers today. Because we want the reward at the end. And so it calls him sexually immoral and, uh, and unholy. Both bad translations. Okay? The word actually, sexually immoral, is the word pornos, from which we get the word pornography, and it can literally mean sexual immorality, but it also means just more in general, any kind of immorality. Somebody who just makes bad life choices. And in in Genesis, Esau didn't, never, it was documented, they did anything anything sexually immoral. But the point is, he just made really foolish choices. He was immoral in the sense that he didn't know what was worth pursuing. And he was unholy. Also, bad translation, it's not the word hagios, which means holy. It's the word babylos, which means worldly, secular, right? Um, So he he was the epitome of somebody who's the opposite of what faith is. Who's just caught up in the world, caught up in the here and now, seeking to gratify the desires of the flesh in the moment. And can't resist the temptation for the here and now because he has no vision for the long-term Prize, right? He says, don't let people be like that. Right? We need to be calling them to uh, the vision of the prize, to endure, to put up with this difficulty now because the prize at the end is going to be so much greater. Um, <clears throat> let me just apply this uh, with a couple thoughts. Uh, about our life here and now as, as church. So this is kind of talking generally. But I'm going to talk about CCF, about you sitting in this chair in this building right now today as part of CCF, Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship. Um, 
there's two mistakes we can make as we try to apply this passage. One is to think that it's only the responsibility of you as the individual athlete, right? Uh, and that it's all up to you to do all the encouraging. And we as leaders of a church, and me as the pastor, I can say it's not my problem to look after weak people. It's your job. You're the athlete. You're out there running. Go get them, right? Uh, don't bother me, right? At the same time, that, that would be wrong, right? And at the same time, the opposite would also be wrong. For all of you as athletes to say, well, I'm just an athlete. I'm not in charge. Right? Not my problem to look after the guy that just face planted next to me. I'm just going to step on him and keep going. Right? That's the pastor's job. Right? That's, that's the leader's job. That's the coach's job. Right? The coach should take care of the broken athletes. Right? Either, either approach would be failing miserably. Right? And, and I coached, and I, I know how it is. And, and as a coach, you need to be bolstering up your team. But, but the team has to do its share as well. Right? Um, and I think as we think about how this works, uh, it gets applied two ways. One, you as, as an individual need to be very aware of people around you and be building relationships, intentional relationships with people around in, you, in your circle of brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you see somebody weak and struggling, you need to come alongside them. Right? You need to do anything and everything you can in your power to encourage them. It is your duty and your responsibility before God. Because you will not only give an answer for how you finished the race, but you will, give, you will give an answer for how you helped those running with you. Uh, likewise, we as a church, as a body, need to also be intentional. We as church leadership, I as a pastor, need to be thinking about how to care for the flock in our care, how we shepherd you as a group. Right? Um, and, and this is all a segue into a commercial. Okay, sign up for the covenant community. Right? The covenant community is our organized and formal way as a church, as, as coaches, to make sure the athletes are okay. Right? That's not a substitute for what you will do for each other. Uh, and it is formal and organized. It's something we have to do because as a body, we're, we're a big group of people. And it's something I can't personally do. Uh, I can't know each of you well enough to shepherd you. Right? So the only way we can do this is to divide and conquer. We, do, we need more coaches. And that's what care shepherds are. And the, the covenant community is not a home group. It's not a cell group. It's not a ministry group. It's, not, it's just... Uh, dividing you up as athletes who are out there running the race and assigning to you a care shepherd, an elder, or another caring person as a part of the body of Christ who's going to build some relationship with you so that when you are struggling and when your hands are dropping, they, they can come along and say, hey, you better get those hands up because you're about to get plowed. Right? You better get them up. We're going to pray for you. We're going to come alongside you. We're going to know you enough to, to, to know what you need. Right? And the only way you can do this is if you identify yourself to us who you are. And some of you are solo athletes. You're not running cross country. You're out there running the 100 meter dash and you're the star of the show and you just don't care about anybody else and you don't need help. Fine. Right? Go for it. Right? But, but that's not what the Bible calls us to. And the reality is even 100 meter athletes face plant sometimes. And when that happens... Um, you need help. Uh, and, the, and the reality is, and this has happened to us in the past, we've had people who have experienced tremendous loss, uh, death, serious sickness and illness and injury. 
and and they didn't make enough effort that we even knew who they were. Right? And it's, it makes life really difficult for me. I hate getting this call. Yeah, somebody just died and they go to your church. And I'm going, I have no idea who this is. This happened. Right? And I'm calling the elders. Do you know this person? No, we don't know this person. Well, they died. <laughs> Uh, what are you going to do about it? Well, I don't know what to do about it because I don't even know them. I don't even have their phone number to call them or to, well, I can't call them, but call their spouse, right? Um, right? How do we care for people if we're just going to go about our own private lives, right? So that's what the covenant community is about. It's saying, hey, here I am. Here's my phone number. If I'm dying, please call my wife, right? Uh, help me out. And we're going to assign you a care shepherd and, and we hope that you will commit to enough relationship with them and they will commit to a relationship with you that we can help you. Um, the covenant looks like this. Um, uh, we're looking for people who are... are um, let's back up. Submit to the word of God. Okay, this is what the covenant actually says. right? People who submit to the word of God. You receive Christ. You're a believer in Christ. You're spending time with God. You are pursuing that life of holiness in Christ. Right? We're going to hold you accountable to that. We want, we want to help hold you accountable to that. Secondly, respond in the worship of God. We're going to hold you accountable to showing up here and being a part of the body and actively participating in the worship uh, of the church and its life together. Um, for, uh, third, living in the community of God. Right? Developing enough relationships and communicating with your care shepherd enough that they can know what's going on in your life and giving them opportunity to serve and minister to you uh, when you need help. And finally, joining together in the mission of God. Right? That we are pursuing intentional, transparent relationships with non-Christians uh, and, and out there sharing Christ. Right? Um, please pray about the covenant community. Uh, we would love to have you sign up. If you don't know how to do it, talk to Ted. It's in the e- announcement emails. Uh, it's a way for us as a church to do this, to, to come alongside those who are weak. And if you're not weak, if you are Superman and you don't need help, great, we need your help. <laughs> come talk to us about being a care shepherd. Like if you're that strong and you got it down, people need you. Right? So either way, you're not off the hook. <laughs> either way, we need each other. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.